0: On today's episode of Engage, Rich Wheeler, Chairman of the Negotiating Committee, and Eric Criswell, former Chairman of the Negotiating Committee, discuss everyone's favorite February 14th topic, profit sharing. Here's your host, Ryan Argenta.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Engage. Today we're talking profit sharing a favorite topic of pilots and all employees alike. I'm with Rich Wheeler, the chairman of the negotiating committee and Eric Criswell, the former chairman of the negotiating committee. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Thanks for your time. Hey Ryan, thanks for having us. Glad to be here. You bet. So we're talking profit sharing, something that we all look forward to February 14th, not just Valentine's day, but profit sharing day. And I wanted to have you two on and and ask about, I think we all understand what profit sharing is. We're cogs in a wheel, in this corporate wheel, and we shared in those profits for the work performed. But on a deeper level, what is profit sharing? And profit sharing isn't something that a corporation just gives out of the goodness of their heart, right? Where did profit sharing come from and how did pilots
0: get involved here? Ryan, you hit the nail on the head. This is, this is something that was a negotiated benefit. There's quite a history, and it's been changed a number of times over the past two decades, but the profit sharing we see today has really become the industry benchmark and was viewed as something that was very unique and special to Delta. The history of it really starts way back in the 90s. A Contract 96 was signed at Delta without getting too in the weeds on what happened in that contract. It was largely viewed as a concessionary contract. There were some work rule changes that weren't favorable in paltry raises, if you will. But one of the things that did accompany that contract was profit sharing plan that was established. And if calculation is foreign to what we see today, it was a totally different measurement. It was a, a percentage of revenue corrected for the income for the company. And it really didn't pay out in the numbers that we see today, but it was something. It was a new plan at that time for Delta. And then of course you fast forward eight years from that point and you've got 9-11 that had happened and you've got the bankruptcy era of the, the airlines. LOA 46 came along before Delta eventually filed bankruptcy with a 32.5% pay cut, as well as some other work rule changes. So the profit sharing formula as as one of the kind of quids in that LOA was improved and it was improved meaningfully and it put into a similar kind of framework that we see today. Then LOA 51 happened, which was another 14% pay rate cut on top of the the 32% pay cut that had previously been taken, as well as obviously the frozen and terminated pension plans at the time It was improved again. So that profit sharing formula, just in a nutshell, it was first hatched in 1996. It was improved as part of that LOA 46 and it was approved again in LOA 51. So what I'm hearing is the origin of profit sharing really didn't
1: come as just a nice idea or an incentive, right? It came with some concessions throughout the history. We've seen the ups and downs both in the industry and the economy, but we've seen pilots take pay cuts. And as a hedge or a backstop measure, they negotiated profit sharing to say, look, we'll help you out. Here's a 32.5% pay cut. Here's another 13% pay cut to float the company during hard times. But if and when you're profitable, that needs to come back to us.
2: That's the general theme of what I'm getting in profit sharing. That's absolutely correct. Uh, One of the little wrinkles in the uh, 96 version of the profit sharing is That plan was actually terminated in exchange for pay raises mid-contract. And I want to point this out because as soon as the pilots terminated that plan, the company turned around and terminated the same plan for all the other employees. So what you'll see in a long running theme throughout this whole profit sharing episode is it's really what the pilots do and what the pilots negotiate with the company. And then the company turns around and provides that same benefit to the employees really on the pilots' backs. You know, why they do that, that's certainly their business, certainly with the non-contract employees, but it's always been the pilots who've led the way on the profit sharing programs. Just like everything else in our contract, Ryan,
0: none of this stuff is just benevolently given. It's all thought for and it's all negotiated. If it's anything from the ability to sit in a jump seat to our pay rates, to our retirement, all that had to be negotiated in a collective bargaining agreement.
1: Yeah. And we're talking years and years and it it looks like profit sharing itself has ebbed and flowed in contracts. And so I think the thrust of our conversation here is for our listeners, especially for those who have a long career ahead of them at Delta is to preserve this benefit to preserve what has been negotiated for decades before you, right? And
0: we all know once you give up something in a contract, you will likely never get it back. Yeah, that kind of leads us into what's happened over the last decade, which when the Northwest and Delta merger happened, there was a a JCBA contract, joint collective bargaining agreement when both airlines merged and it folded the contracts together, took pieces out of each one as well as some pay raises. But one of the other things that happened there is the... PTIC's formula was modified. At the time, we've gone back and looked at some of the documentation, but at the time, the narrative behind this change was it's a bigger company. Therefore, the the formula needs to change to accommodate a bigger company. The reality is it was just watered down. It paid less for the same amount of profit. And so that was really the first time you saw the formula go backwards from where it was established in LOA 46 to uh, the JCBA as it took a step back. And then in 2012, a similar concept happened where the formula was changed again. It was done in exchange for a pay raise. At the time they advertised that it was a 2% bump to our pay tables in exchange for that profit sharing formula change. So it happened twice, JCBA in 2012. Both of those contracts took the profit sharing formula and made it something less than it was before.
1: Yeah. And the company has then applied that to the rest of the employee group. In more recent history, I think you both were reps at the time, but 2015 with failed TA1, which changed profit sharing for pilots. And we saw immediately the company turned around and changed that formula and pulled profit sharing from the other employees until the pilot said no. And they turned
2: down TA1, right? Ryan, that's absolutely correct. One thing that Eric brought up that I is important for your listeners is the, the term PTIX. A lot of times people assume that the profit sharing is based on what is called pre-tax income. That's through regularly accepted accounting rules. That is not actually the same number that uh, we use for profit sharing calculation. Ptx is actually defined in the contract. And what that does is that adds back into pre-tax income areas that could be flexed up or down to affect the profit sharing number. And the reason why those add backs are in there is to prevent, to be honest, tinkering with the final number. So some of the items that get added back in are large asset write downs, gains or losses, and some employee securities, gains or losses with extraordinary or one-time or non-recurrent events. Those are uh, common accounting issues that pop up. And also the expense of profit sharing itself is also excluded. So you don't get dinged for next year for the profit sharing you took in in the previous year. So what happens in that case is when that accounting machine is done, they do take the pre-tax income that is reported and all these various numbers get added back into that number So, PTICS it is almost always higher than the actual pre-tax income number. Right, so, so when we see the number based on PTICs, that is our internal contractual calculation to add back in these accounting items to make sure that the number really is reflective of the profit that the employees have generated.
1: Yeah. Thanks for that. Cause that is important. We talk p ticks, and as you mentioned, this is formalized in our PWA. It's section three I. And so you can follow along there. And yeah, that we talk p ticks, and we talk there's 10% and a 20% formula,
0: which I, I do want to cover here in a second. But why, why, what's why that's important. Rich's perfect dovetail into this contract 2015 discussion, because in the original TA-1, I was a line pilot. I was at all the meetings at that time and was rightly, like most other pilots, just in awe of what was being considered. And it eventually didn't pass, right? That contract failed for the first time. And I think in Delta pilot history, they turned a the contract down and it was decisive. Two to one voted against that contract. And a big piece of that was this profit-sharing formula that changed. So they changed the thresholds, right? Which just meant the pool was going to be smaller. But another very important, but somewhat insidious change was that those ad backs? There was a concept that was part of the, part of that agreement that got rid of some of those ad backs and said, "Hey, management bonuses can be excluded from the ad back," and some of those discretionary cost items would suddenly start to impact the profit number, which really flies in the face of the philosophy of the original Ptex calculation. So again, thankfully, that that didn't end up going forward. The contract was was rejected. But one thing that's interesting is the company did. For that profit sharing year, they did actually implement those changes for all the other employees, but not for the pilots because we had a contractual plan. So there was yeah, a short period of time there about. where they actually did, and, and they gave the other employees raises uh, and they said, Hey, we're going to give you this raise, but we're changing your profit sharing formula. What's interesting is that when we had our contract, our TA2 that came out and didn't touch profit sharing and kept our, our existing formula in place, they obviously gave that profit sharing plan right back to all the other employees because it was one of those optic conundrums they put themselves in. But really, at the end of the day, it was the pilots who held the line and said, no, we're not changing this anymore.
1: Yeah, I remember exactly where, where I was when the TA failed. And
2: I think a lot of people do. Yeah, hey Ryan, that's, I think we all, everybody uh, that I know on the MEC at the time, we all remember very specifically when it was that morning at about 10, 20 or so in the morning, our phones started to buzz that hey the results had come out and pilots had rejected the agreement. That was actually the first time the pilots at Delta had rejected an agreement. What's not widely known is that an MEC back in the 70s had also rejected an agreement. That was before the time that membership ratification was a thing. Membership ratification really didn't start to take root at many properties until the late 70s, early 80s. And before that time, the MECs would simply accept or reject the contract. But it was interesting history once you, you get that deep dive. But that's maybe a podcast for another time there's a stack of old old roar 44
0: magazines on rich's desk at all times because he's good for all this uh kind cool, he's uh, his rich is an,
1: an encyclopedia of the history here he's got like the coffee stain rings on all his magazines and papers but in his tweed jacket with the elbow pads, on elbow it right pads. those are coming back actually but i right. i think the history is important and i, and I want to give that message right i want to deliver that of, don't mess with this anymore and History is good. I think we all want to live in the present and taking us to where we are today. And Eric, we just went through section six, you negotiated contract 2019. And I think the message there loud and clear was don't mess with it. Right. And from a negotiator standpoint, what do you want to tell the pilots going forward? If this is a little time capsule, if you will, in a podcast,
0: what would your message be? yeah we in the lead up to contract 2019, of course, we're talking back in 2018, 2017 when we were really doing the initial prep for this contract negotiation. That was a consistent theme whenever we would talk to individual pilots, the the polling, the all of the feedback we got on the contract survey, and then just general sentiment when we took our direction from the MEC at the time it was just profit sharing is not even part of this conversation at this contract. And as a result of that, just candidly, the company never even asked for a change to it. It never showed up on a term sheet. It never was even put on the table because I think the narrative behind our position was so good that it just wasn't going to even be discussed. And one thing that happened in this round of negotiations that I think is incredibly important is what happened at the other properties. They did not have profit sharing formulas that were as good as ours until this contract. So American and United both memorializing our formula in their contract, I think makes it a lot harder for Delta in the future or any other carrier in the future to say, we think this profit sharing formula should be reduced in some way. We were the industry benchmark. Now it's the industry standard. And I think a really good thing for the likelihood this plan is going to live on into the future. Again, the pilot group is new. This is a very different pilot group than it was in 2018. I got to believe half our pilots have been hired since then. And some of that history I think is important because there are strong arguments that have been made in the past to say, hey, why would we want this income at risk? Why wouldn't we just take a pay raise? That's an equivalent value. You, You can do the math. You can figure out, hey, this change to profit sharing is worth X hundred million dollars. Therefore, that is a X percent raise. Why don't we just take the raise and get it every year? And that, again, is a persuasive argument, and it has been in the past. What you notice today is that everyone's pay rate's the same. We all effectively are working to the penny, f- flying these aircraft for the same rates across the industry. So in the past, when we have the dirty word in the past was monetized, when we've monetized our profit sharing in the past, we don't see those in our rates today. Everyone has now plused up to those same rates. The assumption is going forward, if we made that trade, we'd all end up in the same spot anyway. So why would we make the trade? And again, I'm one person, I'm a line pilot today. I'll have a one vote like anyone else, but that's what really stands out in my mind is that our, our rates today are exactly what they were or exactly the same as everyone else's after this contract cycle, regardless what we've done in the past with profit sharing.
1: I think that's an important distinction, right? It's, it's, it's easy to sell it back in, in terms of a raise, but uh, it's all going to come back, especially with pattern bargaining is, is the
0: industry standard. So I and do. Pay not- rates are the need to be under attack, right? If we do, God forbid, go through a down cycle that's going to be the first thing that's that's asked for is pay rate concessions. And you're certainly not, if you've got a reduced profit sharing formula at that time, because you got those raises, you're probably never going to get that value back again as well. Something similar happened at United recently in their COVID LOA. They took some pretty severe pay cuts, depending on where you were on the seniority list during COVID. And then in exchange, when they became profitable again, they got a 5% pay raise. We'll look at them today. They have exactly the same rates that we do. That 5% raise is, is, gone and that was to account for what they did during covid and it just vanished on this contract cycle yeah thanks for that so snapping forward now we're all
1: looking at this year the announcement was made 10.3 percent of your earnings in 2023 is your profit sharing check you can look forward to that on february 14th. if we're looking in the contract we're looking in section 3i which Nobody reads, I get it. But we're talking about this calculation and we talked PTIX, P-T-I-X is what we're talking about. Rich explained it as pre-tax income. And then there's this formula, right? Can you give me just a quick nuts and bolts on how this formula works? Because there's some fog over the calculation of the pilots see 10% of certain earnings and 20% of certain other earnings and they try to apply it to their own income. And then they're saying, hey, where does this 10.3% come from? And then others remember 2019, where we got the largest profit sharing payout in I think the history of airline, it was like
2: 16%. So walk me through how this p works out. Right, Ryan. So it is definitely a math equation that you get into. And the important thing to realize is we do have the outline of how profit sharing works in 3i, as you mentioned. However, there is actually a formalized profit sharing document, that this happens in a couple of different sections of our contract. It's called being incorporated by reference. We see that in our uh, DC plan, in the market-based cash balance plan, in a couple other places in the contract where there is actually a much larger, lengthier, very legalese document that actually talks about the execution. And we have a, a small section in the contract that talks about it, but that plan is incorporated by reference. That being said, in 2023, the pre-tax income for the company was $5.2 billion. Now, when you go in and we do the math analysis, we do the P-tax calculation, we add back in all those various and sundry items that we talked about, and that added actually another $1.8 billion. So the P-tax number for 2023 was actually $7 billion. Then we apply the, the 10% and the 20% in The wrinkle there is you have to make sure that you're bifurcating the numbers. Some people run this calculation and double count in some cases that would lead up to a higher number. You take your 10% of the first tranche, and that was $2.5 billion, and that would put in uh, $250 million into the profit sharing pool. And then we do the second tranche of 20% times $7 billion, and that was uh, $4.5 billion from that tranche. And that put in another $900 million into the profit-sharing kitty. And so the total profit-sharing pool was $1.15 billion. Now, with that, you have to apply that to the entire employee group that collects profit-sharing. So it all goes into a big pool. It all gets divided up by the number of employees that uh, receive profit-sharing. And that's where you get your 10.3% number. And then, of course, your 10.3% is applied to your Eligible earnings for that year. And eligible earnings is actually spelled out. That is your flight pay, that is your flight advance, and any one time payments for grievance settlements or one time payment events like our uh, one time payment that happened at the conclusion of Section 6. six. So, all that gets included. And there's some things that are not included include per diem, the previous year's profit sharing, and any kind of disability benefits.
1: Okay. So it makes sense so far. And so if you're looking at your end of year pay statement for 2023 and you're saying, man, what is included? And, and perhaps you should have already gone to the special election tool for profit sharing and major elections there. You can select your 401k or your Roth or your HSA contributions, uh, emergency savings, and other things. You've seen your estimated earnings from that previous year. And then times 10.3 gives you your share of profit sharing, right? So if you're looking at that and you're saying, man, what did they calculate this on? It's that flight pay, your flight advance, and any one-time payments. And special or unique for us pilots in 2023 was the two payments. One was the one-time bonus for the signing, and the other was the retro payment snap back
2: to January 1st. Ryan, that's absolutely correct. And as you pointed out, there is some variation from year to year. Some people would say, hey... We earned X, Y, Z in 2015 or 2016. Why was the percentage number different? And the important thing to take into consideration is there are other variables that go into calculating that number, such as the size of the employee pool who receives profit sharing. We've done a lot of growth over the last few years. We've added a lot of new employees. A lot of new pilots are on the list. So that expands the pool. And when you do that, you are, I'm not gonna say diluting because that's not really the right word, but you are applying that fixed amount of money to a larger group of people and so that will definitely change the percentage
0: yeah it's not only the larger group of people which is absolutely true but it's also the fact the average pilot's earnings were higher as well to get the same payout if you had higher earnings it's a smaller percentage of your pay and that's also a factor at play here especially when you consider you're adding in those one-time payment and the retro payment that boosted your effective earnings for 2023 but it did it for every it wasn't just an individual it was for everybody. So when you individually make a decision to fly more or to get a green slip or, or what have you, that impacts your profit sharing payout individually. But when everybody gets a raise and everybody gets a, a one-time event like that, then effectively it, it doesn't create more profit. It doesn't mean that there's more profit to, to spread around. It just means that the same profit is split amongst a generally higher level of earnings for everyone, which means it's going to be a lower percentage when expressed that way.
1: Yeah. Even just flying in the the, the past few weeks, the common thread that I'm hearing is, you know, how did we get 16% in 2019? And we're making more money now as a company, but we only get 10.3%. And it's a difficult concept to understand and and to
0: swallow that pill. Yeah, everybody got raises over the the past number of years, especially after COVID. And actually the 2019 profit number was a bit higher. The public number was, I think, around 5.9 billion. And the Ptex number was something north of seven. So we're not quite back at that same level of profitability as we were in 2019. And we're a bigger operation. We have, I think it was 11.1 billion of total earnings for all eligible employees. That's not just pilots. That's pilots, flight attendants, ground workers, all the frontline staff that gets profit sharing. It was an $11.1 billion earnings pool that number in 2019 was a smaller number. So that just means the average employee earned quite a bit more in 2023 than they did in 2019.
1: So, Rich, tell me this. Does the union verify the company's numbers? Everybody looks forward to the earnings calls and and the announcements as we approach the profit sharing. But does the union verify these numbers? Do we make sure the company's not,
2: quote, cooking the books? Oh, absolutely. The company, just as being a publicly traded company, has to follow generally accepted accounting principles otherwise known as GAAP, and they, obviously they have a fiduciary duty to report those numbers correctly, and I think we've seen in other industries that when companies misstate their earnings and other accounting issues, it gets them in a pinch, in a real big hurry. As a publicly traded company, the company does have that duty to responsibly report those numbers accurately. On top of that, we do have our economic and financial folks up at National. They look at the numbers, they verify the numbers, and do all the complicated math to make sure that the, the numbers are accurate.
1: Is there ever a dispute or does economic financial analysis at national ever say, ah, uh, we we disagree with this. It should be a different
0: number. I think there's been instances in the past where there's had to be a conversation over these one-time ad backs. Really, that's really the crux of what the publicly announced profit number, that is what it is. Delta announces that to the public. That's what's during the shareholder presentation. ELPA has nothing to do with that number. Where we're really interested is what do we add back? And those eligible addbacks are really what drive our profit sharing to be what it is. And I do know that in the past, there's been conversations
2: over what's been added back and it's, it's always been resolved to, to help with satisfaction. Right. And and there was an instance in uh, 2016 where the company split the the profit sharing in and there was some conversation of that. There was also some conversation about a a payout from a previous grievance in the annual compensation.
0: I I think in 2016, they had some sort of a early retirement type program for office staff across the street, not for pilots, but that expense i think there was an attempt to to count that as a routine expense not a one time and i like i said i think at the end of the day it came out to our satisfaction understood so it is verified and and made sure that it's whole what is the union's influence in that range or in that number it's a math equation there's nothing discretionary there the contract says hey this is what drives the the ptex number you put all that math together and, and you come out with a percentage. So there, there's no room filled with smoke kind of meeting saying, maybe we can
2: live with 10% this year instead of 12. <laughs> that's not a, right. that's not a thing. <laughs> yeah. And one of the other things to understand too, is that when Wall Street looks forward and the, the company makes projections or other implications on what earnings are going to be, what the revenues are going to be, what all, all the pre-tax income is going to be. Those are all estimates until the numbers are actually in. But that there's always a considerable amount of variability in that, and certainly the company tries to go out and give guidance, and people make decisions and do calculations on that guidance kind of at their own risk. It's, it's not really done until the, the quarter is closed and the finances have been reported. Yeah, and hearing your buddy who's got a buddy that is a buddy with a, somebody that's in the chief pilot office that said
0: maybe at one time, it was going to be 12% or whatever. That sets an expectation, but it's at the end of the day, it's just speculation, right? And, and we all can do some back-of-the-napkin math, some of it educated, some of it not, come up with what we think it should be. But like I say, at the end of the day, there's a very specific formula that a lot of people have their eyes on. And again, if if there's not a comfort level with what those numbers are, there's a conversation that happens between the union and the and the company, and and it has to be resolved before that number is, is published.
1: Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. We all have a buddy on the fourth floor. We all have a buddy who's a check airman. We all have, yeah, I get it. Okay. So now on an individual level, if you are looking at your quote number, your profit sharing payout, and you're just scratching your head saying, this doesn't make sense to me. Who can a pilot contact or how can you ask that question or get an
2: issue you feel needs to be resolved? First thing the pilot can do is reach out via the Crew Assist app and ask them, that would probably be in the case if there is a, a mechanical calculation error, like somehow the, the paycheck got messed up. Maybe the look back was including some kind of leave the pilot was on, depending on whether the profit sharing applied it to the pilot's leave or not. The first thing they should do is reach out to the crew assist, make sure that all the facts of their year is correct. How much money that they earned, how much, in, how much time they were on the property in case they were on a leave of some kind. Make sure the facts of the employment are correct and make sure that everybody's reading off the same sheet of music on that. If they feel like it was something other than that, then they can reach out to contract administration via a, a DART or a phone call to the office, and they can actually start going through the process of reviewing the pilot's information to make sure everything is correct. There shouldn't be a lot of mystery to that number, Ryan. You you
0: can still log into your profit sharing election tool. It's all grayed out. You can't make changes now, but you can still see the number they're using. And in in my case, I went and added flight pay, flight advance, the one-time payment, the retro, the grievance settlement, and it added up to the penny to the number that was in that top box on that election tool. If you look at your last pay stub last year and you add up all those numbers and it doesn't equal that number, then obviously there's some mechanical issue going on there with the the inputs and they certainly should be able to help you through the Crew Assist app. Right.
2: And if it's something more than that, if it's something more than an accounting issue where the numbers don't match up, then definitely reach out to the contract administration and make sure that both the company and the pilot are on the same program as to exactly what happened during the year.
1: Very good. Anything else on profit sharing? that's certainly been a great uh, history lesson. And, and I think the message received, don't mess with it. And we look forward to February
2: 14th. Anything else for the pilot group? I would just say a lot of people get confused on on personal income tax. With the profit sharing, the federal government withholds it at a fixed rate of 25% just because that's what they withhold that it doesn't necessarily equal the tax you pay. And you can wind up with a very unpleasant surprise when it comes time to pay taxes if you don't take that into account. One-time payments or bonus payments, as the IRS calls them, are, as I said, taxed at a fixed 25%. All that money goes into what your final earnings are and whatever your individual tax rate is calculated at could be a very different number. And so you might wind up owing a little bit more tax than we're anticipating. Yeah, it doesn't have its own tax treatment. It has a withholding treatment that's
0: standardized to everyone. But at the end of the year, it all goes into the same income and all your own individual
2: facts influence what tax you pay. It does not have its own tax treatment. That's a really good point, Rich. I I was subject to that misconception myself. And I had a a large tax bill that I was like, oh, that's going to hurt. Gotcha.
1: Okay. Something to, I guess, not look forward to, but look forward to and understand. So thanks for that. First world problems, right? That's yeah. Right. And so I think just an overall feeling of gratitude that A, we have profit sharing. Yes, it it was paid for dearly in, in previous years. And I think all pilots can understand and appreciate that and the sacrifices that other pilots have made for us now. And so for that, I'll say a collective thank you. But yeah, it's a great tool to have. It's a great benefit that we've negotiated and that we receive. And I think it's great that all employees get it and we should certainly celebrate and pat yourself on the back for a, a job well done that we can bring a, a company into profitability and, and great
0: profitability in 2023. I was just going to say from the perspective of uh, the negotiating committee, this is really one of those things. It's a joy because what's rare that you have an entire pilot group that's aligned on an issue, and in this one in particular it was. So that that's gratifying when you've got an issue that is not controversial, that everyone agrees on, and, and we were able to hold the line on it and really influence the rest of the industry. This is one of the real bright spots in my mind is that this lives into the future and into perpetuity now because of really the leadership of the Delta pilots over this
2: issue over the last decade. Yeah, I agree with Eric on that. Sometimes you get 10 pilots in a room, it's hard to get them to agree the sky is blue, but on this one topic, everybody is uh, pretty much in alignment.
1: That's awesome to hear.
2: Yeah, unity prevails and and it's important.
1: Rich Wheeler, Eric Criswell, both from the negotiating committee. Thanks for your time. Thanks for the explanation. I think this is an important topic for everybody and of course we all enjoy the benefits on February 14th. So, happy profit sharing day everyone. Well done. Thanks for being here, fellas. Thanks, Ryan.
0: Thanks, Ryan. You are listening to Engage, the podcast for Delta Pilots. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform, and receive notifications when a new episode is available.